everyone, it's Jeff from Modern Combat and Survival, and we talk a lot about bugging out, about having to evacuate from a disaster in order to get yourself and your family to safe. But where do you go when you need to get out of Dodge? That's an area that a lot of people don't really think about, and there's a lot of thought that must go into it, which is why I was really happy to get strategic relocation author Joel Skousen on the phone to talk about what you can do to plan now for where you need to go during a disaster. So go ahead and check this out. I think you're going to get a lot out of this interview. Bullets were flying, your adrenaline surging. Would you hit your target? If the world as you know it crumbled tomorrow, collapsed into chaos, you know how to survive. If you and those you loved were cornered by a gang, violently attacked, could you protect them? Could you protect them? Could you protect them? Tactical firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat. This, this is another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is Modern Combat and Survival. It's an uncertain world out there. Economic collapse looms on the horizon. The news we hear about the world around us is always bad. War, terrorism, climate change, natural disasters, uncertainty, and disease. And it seems no matter what the field of endeavor, there's always a balloon ready to go up, and it's always threatening to pop. Now, confronted by the dangers of everything from terrorism to new and threatening diseases to financial hardships to even political tensions, citizens everywhere are planning to survive. But planning to survive for the long term is more than just packing a bug-out bag and stockpiling ammunition. You need to seriously take stock of your options, your assets, and your liabilities in planning a secondary backup survival retreat. That's why we're talking today with Joel Skousen, author of the book Strategic Relocation, North American Guide to Safe Places. Joel, welcome to the program. Thank you, Jeff. It's good to be with you. It's great to have you on here. We've had um, some of our, our readers talk about your book, and I'm really looking forward to to talking about it with you. Now, everybody out there, listen, uh, if, you're, if you're not familiar with Joel's work, Joel is a former Marine Corps fighter pilot and is a political scientist by training, specializing in the philosophy of law and constitutional theory. He's also a designer of high-security residences and retreats, and he's designed self-sufficient and high-security homes throughout North America and has consulted in Central America as well. Now, his latest book in this field is Strategic Relocation, North American Guide to Safe Places, and he's active in consulting with people of all walks of life who wish to set up a relocation plan and retreat site for security and increased self-sufficiency. Now, for more information on Joel and the products he offers, visit him online at www.joelskousen.com. I'm really looking forward to this conversation because I'm still in the midst of planning my own secondary backup retreat at, since we've moved to a new location with my family. So, Joel, when planning a survival retreat location, what would you say are the three most important geographical or infrastructure features that I should be looking for for long-term sustainability in a collapse-like scenario? Well, first of all, we have to distinguish between the long-term sustainable retreat and the uh, shorter-term pure mountain retreat or, or survival retreat. The only kind of retreat that provides long-term sustainability is one where you can grow the normal range of vegetables and crops. This, as opposed to the pure mountain retreat where you have to rely on stored foods alone and is not sustainable for the long-term because you can't grow anything, either because of lack of sun or excessive altitude. So the long-term retreat needs to be far enough away from people 
so that you don't have hundreds of people surrounding your gardens and waiting for them, the crops to get ripe in a famine. And you, you cannot underestimate this. I mean, it does no good to essentially be in a, even a seven semi-suburban rural area when you're growing a full range of crops the first year after a, a nuclear war or an EMP strike where there's no electricity and people are starving. And to have hundreds of people, good people who are just, they're going to steal the crops. And, uh, so a good long-term sustainable retreat has to have distance so that you really don't have a lot of people or hardly anybody knowing that there's a garden being grown. Yet close enough to society that you can develop the property and service it without huge commuting costs. And a lot of people underestimate that, you know, that something that's two or three hundred miles away, it's extreme difficulty to try to develop that retreat and travel to it to uh, take care of it. Also, it is essential to have a reliable source of irrigation water. Springs and gravity-fed systems are best. Wells with pumps that can run off solar or generators are second best. And lastly, I prefer non-flat land so that your retreat or farmstead is not visible from a long way away. Also, be aware that the more remote the retreat cabin is, the higher the probability it will be broken into while you are absent. Thus, the need for concealed, hardened storage and high-security construction of that retreat. So when most people are considering planning a survivor retreat, they really do often envision that remote country setting kind of way off the grid as the best choice. That may or may not always be the case. So what factors would help me to decide how close to an urban area I should be when selecting a retreat location? Well, first of all, it's important to understand how big the urban area is. Retreat safety is inversely proportional to population density. But there's also a trade-off between being so far away from people and infrastructure that you can't sustain yourself financially. That's the number one problem why retreat strategies fail. And let me be <laughs> emphasize that. That's the number one problem, having consulted over 40 years in this, of why retreat strategies fail. People get too far away from their financial lifeline, and they cannot sustain themselves. Remember that self-sufficiency is expensive and requires service. Even those who gain income via the Internet have to be close enough to society that they're going to have access to a high-speed Internet connection in their rural retreat. Uh, satellite Internet is very expensive. So it's not as simple as picking a, a certain distance to guarantee safety. While there is a greater safety with pure distance, there's also a greater cost in servicing and developing the property, as I mentioned. So with, with major urban areas, over 2 million plus, the greater distance you need to be away from the city and the greater care you have to take to be far away from predictable exit routes. Now, this is very important to understand the concept of exit routes. Where will the refugee traffic flow if there's a meltdown within society? You still want to live... Uh, in the far suburban areas of a metro, but in the direction that you would want to flee if you ever needed to. You want to be able to be ahead of the masses and not have to go through a mass of refugees or through a city to get to the other side in the direction you want to go. Also, the closer you are to a suburban area, the greater care you have to take not to be visible from any primary or secondary road and have visual shielding from discovery. Uh, and that's something I really emphasize is that I can find fairly safe places fairly close to an urban area or suburban area 
if I can find it off and invisible, hidden by trees or a hill or a mountain, etc., and without a lot of roads nearby. Lastly, every retreat needs to plan a potential exit plan in case it becomes untenable. Let me ask you just on that on the egress point. Um, should I, if I were looking at a map and if I determine, okay, if there was a meltdown, most likely people would be massively flooding this egress route out of the city. Um, should I be looking in the opposite direction of that, so I'm not going ahead of traffic, or I'm not trying to get ahead of them? Which, you know, that plan could fail. I guess I could not. You know, I might not get to, the, to that decision point before they do, or I have to go back home and re- get resupplies or get my family or whatever. Should I be looking in the opposite direction? Is that a better method? or No, generally not. In other words, there is, for example, for people on the East Coast, almost all the best exit plans will be going west. So you want to be further west. And you want to be to north or south if it's a west exit plan because there's less population density out west. So that's where people are going to flow. You want to be north or south of that on alternate routes going west rather than in the main corridors. But you definitely don't want to go opposite because sometimes you can't go opposite. That's not where safety lies. You have to go where the most safety in rural uh, community is and also where there's no blocking. For if You can't go towards an ocean. You can't go towards where lakes and river are going to block you. So pick the exit place where you're going to live uh, in the direction of that and then make sure that you're ahead of the crowd before they Okay, we're talking with Joel Skousen of joelskousen.com about how to strategically plan your retreat should you ever have to get yourself and your family to safety during a disaster. We'll be back with more information from Joel here in just a minute, including some of the other factors that a lot of people don't think about, like economic factors of where you're going to live, how far away from your home you should you should plan your retreat, and even nuclear contamination. It makes a difference, folks, and we'll find out why here in just a minute. But first, check out this message. <laughs> In any disaster, crisis, or attack, your life and the life of those you love could solely rest on the survival gear you've acquired. Do you have the proper gear to protect you from the threats you'll face? Whether it's preparing your home against the destruction and mayhem of a city in chaos, or you're bugging out to a safer location when a natural disaster forces you from your home, the supplies you have right now could ensure your survival or seal your fate. Don't take the risk. Claim your free copy of our exclusive guide, Survival Gear Secrets, at survivalgearsecrets.com and discover the seven-phase survival gear plan every family must prepare for or face the consequences. Five no-bullshit warning signs that a collapse is headed your way, so you're already in action long before your neighbors even know what hit them. And how to know exactly when it's safer to stay at home and shelter in place. Or get in the family bug-out mobile and get the hell out of Dodge. Your fellow citizens may be fine with sleeping in a crowded stadium waiting for FEMA to hand them a granola bar, juice box, and a blankie. But you know that no one can protect your family better than you can if you're properly prepared with the right supplies and equipment to ensure your survival. Don't wait until it's too late. Find out what's missing from your survival gear plan by grabbing your free copy of Survival Gear Secrets now at www.survivalgearsecrets.com. And now, back to our show. Okay, we're back with Joel Skousen of joelskousen.com. Talk about how to plan your retreat should you and your family have to evacuate in a disaster to get to safety. Let's go ahead and dig back into the interview now. 
Joel, living in Texas and having a site in Montana doesn't really seem to make a lot of sense, at least from my thought. I'm looking at, like, maps and trying to figure out where my retreat um, is going to be, especially if you need to bug out in a hurry. So how far away from where I currently live should I choose as a location for the survival retreat in order to really make traveling to a secondary location realistic for me? That's a great question. Uh, once again, that depends on your transportation options. But long distance is always a risk trying to make a long distance uh, escape plan. Anything more distant than one half a tank of gas, and I say one half because, you know, you may have a full tank, but you may not have a full tank. And even if you have a full tank, it's very unlikely that you're going to be able to take the freeway. So you have much slower routes with less gas mileage. So I recommend that anything longer than a distance of a half a tank away needs to have refueling options. Stored fuel at a way station, a friend or relative's home, or lots of portable fuel that you can carry with you and have easily stockpiled so that you can get in the car and go. In any case, having a way station with friends is always essential when trying to make long distances. It's also essential to pre-plan multiple routes and to know where all the over- or underpasses are in a freeway beltway that surrounds most cities. You need to be able to get past that freeway. It's like a big moat around the city. And I use Google Maps to find and, and trace visually going over the city or over the beltway and finding overpasses or underpasses where there is not an exit or an on-ramp because those will be blocked with people trying to get on or off the freeway. It's important to map routes to get past these big barriers like freeways. Now, several clients who are pilots have developed strategies to fly out of uncontrolled airports to another uncontrolled airport as a means of bypassing traffic and refugees. And in general, I advise uh, clients to relocate to modest-sized cities where they can safely have a retreat within 30 minutes to an hour from home. That's the optimum. Many cities, for example, in the Rocky Mountain areas, have cities that are backed right up to the mountains, so it's relatively easy to find retreats in one of the nearby canyons that's within a 30-minute drive of the city itself. Uh, most people in the Midwest and Texas you have to go a lot longer distances. But ultimately, I want to say people need to be within a half a, mile, half a tank of gas unless they have these kinds of contingency plans for refueling in way stations. That's interesting. That really helps people nail down kind of, you know, definite proximity of their location on a map. Joel, how significant are economic factors when considering my survival retreat location? I mean, what are the most critical attributes I should look for from my chosen location when considering supply availability, trade, and commerce? Well, you know, a retreat, by definition, is going to stockpile most items needed to survive in a crisis. But while you can haul everything from long distances, you know, realistically, you need fairly close access to a hardware store to efficiently do construction and repairs while building up this retreat. I mean, nothing starts pre-built. You have to develop this. And uh, anything more than an hour away, and that's the gauge I use, will require that you take a lot more time planning for each trip. you got to have every piece of hardware, every fastener, every building material that you're going to need. And this is very difficult to do as a person who's developed and built most of my own retreats. I mean, trying to plan ahead, you're going to drive three hours to do a construction project, make sure you've got everything you need, is very difficult to do. Inevitably, oh, I'm missing this screw or this bolt, and I have to drive three hours to get it. So you can see 
that it's very difficult to develop and construct a retreat unless you've got uh, you know, a fairly well-stocked hardware system within an hour's drive. Also, the further you are away from tradesmen, over an hour, for example, the more costly it is to hire people to help. Their bids are much higher to come out and travel. Just to even get people to come out and, and bid on a job is much more difficult when you're that far away. And uh, so I emphasize to people, and I've had a lot of well-heeled clients that can hire everything done, but I've told them, you know, when, when the you-know-what hits the fan, you're going to have to maintain all this stuff yourself. Uh, you're not going to be able to hire me or anybody else to come in and repair this stuff. You've got to know the trades. You've got to have the tools and the repair parts to do these. So don't forget to stockpile tools and spare parts and know how to fix everything. Yeah, and even then, like you said, resupply of, of even just repairs like timber, you know, lumber, things like that. I think a lot of people think of themselves like in the backwoods mode and, you know, not everybody can plane their own lumber out of trees. So that makes That's right. Yeah. Joel, let's think worst case scenario here, just so we can cover the ex- the extremes of of this type of a of a survival retreat scenario. So when it comes to the potential threats that could force us into a retreat to a secondary survival location, dirty bombs and nuclear fallout really can't be discounted, and it's one of those areas that most people just dismiss as like a Cold War leftover. But in fact, we've seen in the news relatively recently the threat potentially of of nuclear fallout or dirty bombs. So let me ask you, is a nuclear attack a feasible threat? And if so, what should I consider when planning my retreat location? Well, it is an, uh, it is the biggest, most predictable long-term threat that I see on the horizon, probably eight to ten years away, because Russia and China, who are clearly planning on a nuclear, and have been planning for years on a nuclear attack on the West, are continuing to build extreme quantities of weapons of mass destruction. They're not doing this for defensive purposes. In fact, our government is building huge numbers of underground bunkers, uh, not for terrorism, but because they know this major strike is coming. People who retire from the CIA and the DIA and others are building bunkers in their own personal residences in the Rocky Mountains. So they know something's coming. They're not warning the American people, but I believe it's a very real threat. Now, nuclear war is very survivable. The old uh, nuclear winter scenario has been uh, successfully debunked. Uh, fallout dissipates within two to three weeks. There are no real long-term uh, damaging particles from nuclear weapons, and so it's very survival if you're outside a blast zone, typically five miles from the target area. And you must also be outside a major metro, which will melt down in complete social unrest almost immediately, even if people aren't hit. Panic will cause people to hit the roads or try to get home or do whatever they need to. Since most people work in cities, it's essential to have advanced warning of nuclear war and to be already out of the cities when that comes. I put out a weekly world affairs brief uh, briefing on world situations every week, and that will help people to know when these things are coming because I'm watching it. Make sure you have an exit plan so that you can round up family members and have pre-designated meeting places for emergencies, plus family van radios to help find each other when cell phones are clogged, and they will be clogged in an emergency. I also might advise don't waste money on blast protection for home or shelter. If you're close enough to a blast area to need blast valves in the shelter, move, don't harden. 
Almost all prefab variable shelters have blast doors, which are costly and not needed outside of a blast zone. Worst, variable shelters are a risk when people could see you entering or exit the shelter because they're out in the open ground. Vents are also at risk of being sabotaged, and they also act as sound transmission tubes so that anyone with their ear close to one of your vents can hear everything that's going on in one of these shelters. That's why I always recommend basement shelters are beneath the building in basement construction still cheaper than prefab shelters uh, with a concrete cap of 10 to 12 inches so that vents and entrances are then concealed within the structure of the building. And best of all, you can get in and out of the shelter without people observing you. Ultimately, I want shelters and I design shelters that are in or next to existing basements or crawl space where people can get to them from the house itself. So let me ask you, how would somebody know whether or not they're in a potential target for a nuclear strike? Well, in strategic relocation, I map out the strategy and the potential target areas. Uh, there are other target maps on there, which I think are excessive, put every you know, major manufacturing facility, and I don't think that's the way it's going to come down. I think the Russians and China, uh, Chinese want to neutralize our military and then blackmail the West into submission and will not be hitting population centers per se. And so just for clarification, for the um, for the underground um, kind of blast shelter, I call it a blast shelter, but basically like um, a more protective shelter, are you saying that the the typical, like you could have a survival retreat that is a home, but as long as it has a basement, that's sufficient, or does it need that cement um, ceiling to it, basically, in order for better protection? It needs a cement ceiling, uh, and that's why I like to design uh, shelters underneath a garage where you already expect to have a cement floor. You just thicken it to 10 to 12 inches, and then you get fallout protection. Well, I recommend people avoid blast zones. Don't spend the money to do blast protection. Everybody in the United States, unless you're right on the California, Oregon coast, needs fallout protection because most of the fallout creates, created in the Western military targets like Seattle, San Diego, et cetera, will flow eastward and, uh, and contaminate people. So people need to have fallout protection. It's not that expensive to get. Great. Well, Joel, this has been very informative. I mean, just from my own perspective of what, of what I'm looking at, and it helps me a lot with my planning, and I think it helps really it helps people really balance out that, you know, the difference in that that line between do I go into backwoods mode where I'm Grizzly Adams versus what's the realistic locations that I should be looking at for a strategic uh, relocation in in the case of an emergency. So uh, so really, really great balancing act that uh, you've been able to put together there. So I really appreciate it. Now, listen, everybody, um, no doubt, as you've discovered, there's a lot of considerations when that you need to really take into account when planning your survival retreat. Joel's book, Strategic Relocation, is a great starting point for that, so definitely check that out. And Joel also offers personalized consulting to help you find a more perfect location for you and your family when you're looking for advanced services beyond his book. You can pick up a copy of his book and find out more information on Joel and his services at his website at www.joelskousen.com, so go check it out now. And until our next broadcast, this is Jeff Anderson from Modern Combat and Survival saying train hard, stay safe, prepare now.
This has been Modern Combat and Survival. Survival. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us out by rating our podcast on iTunes and leaving a comment. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Modern Combat and Survival. And don't forget to claim your free subscription to Modern Combat and Survival magazine at www.moderncombatandsurvival.com. Lock and load. And we'll see you next time. This has been Modern Combat and Survival.